We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, it's mailbag time, and we got some good ones so far. So if you guys got some questions, please fire them in. Uh, We're ready for it. If you're an Ohio State fan and you want to engage and talk football, do it. We'll answer your questions. We'll engage with you. We've been doing that with Archer all summer. If you want to just come in here and troll, we'll block you and tell you that you need to grow up. So uh, let's dive into this. And We've had several Ohio State fans who don't post as much as Archer but still are here and have been very respectful, and we appreciate that. And and, uh, and and thank you all very much for that. Alan Watson with a super chat. Thank you for that, Alan. Said, how many freshmen burn a year of eligibility this year, Ryan? That is a that is a good one. So why don't you take your first crack at that one? Because I kind of have an idea of that. Sure, sure. I mean, so if I'm starting on offense, the guys that pop up are Tobias Merriweather is the guy for sure that I don't mm-hmm. imagine will be keeping his red shirts. Yep. There's both no tight running. ends. I, I think running backs will keep him there. Tight ends. Well, that's because he's out for the year. So that's right, what I mean. Exactly. That's a, right. And yeah. Jelly, I don't. Yeah. Don't see him. I was thinking, yeah, like Jabron yeah. Payne, probably you're probably gonna reserve him. Oh, right? I forgot about Jabron Payne. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, you ideally you're gonna preserve that one. I do like to, yeah. Both tight ends potentially, right? So Eli Raritan holding stays. Offensive line, I don't think so, right? Like I think you're gonna preserve all those. It would require some sort of injury, right. I think, to happen. Well, before yeah. I forget, special teams, Bryce McPherson's. I got one. him on my list. So I got him on my list. Oh, yep. Making yep. sure we're there. Yep. Defensively, do you think Tyson Ford will? I don't know. I, don't know. I think one. one defensive lineman will burn a year. I one, think Josh, and if I had to pick right now, it would be Josh Burnham. Josh because Burnham. I think Josh is going to be on special teams. I think he's going to okay. burn. I think a lot of these kids on defense are going to. I have Josh Burnham and all three linebackers burning in a year of eligibility. And I yeah, think three yeah, of those four will be on special teams. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. okay with that. Look, if Jalen sure. Sneed is the player we think he's going to be, he's not a five-year player. If no. Josh Burnham's the player we think he is, it's not a five-year guy. Same with Tyson Ford, Junior Tuyalamaka, all these kind of guys. They're not five-year players if they are who we think they are. So play them. If they are if if Josh Burnham is your best guy on three different special teams, then play him. Let because you never know his number may need to get called on defense down the road against Clemson, and you don't want that to be the first real action he's had in a in an impactful moment. 
You know, sure. like, look, it may not be the same as playing defensive end, but I can assure you, as someone who played special teams as a true freshman and started a receiver, my butterflies were just as great in my first game on the kick return team as they were when I lined up a wide receiver. I can just tell you that right now. Because it, you have a job to do, and you've got to do it well. And fans may not care about special teams, but the kids on special teams better care about special teams. And so, yes, it is an important 100%. thing. And you can't say, well, all three phases of the game have to be good, but then not be willing to play your best guy at a position because he's a freshman. You don't want to burn your eligibility. I think that's nonsense. So, yes, Ryan, I don't know which D-line, but I think at least one D-lineman will burn a year. I'm okay mm -hmm. if Tyson Ford also does. I'll be okay with that because, again, if Tyson Ford's the kid I think he is, probably not a five-year player. Ango Byron may be because he's got a body transformation that he's got to go through a little bit. He may right. be a five-year guy even if he's as good as I think he is. I don't think that Isaiah F Tyson Ford is. Uh, yeah. So I would, I'd play him, but he's got to earn that. Spot, he's been banged up a little bit, but I think at least one D lineman, all three linebackers. And I'll say this too, I think both corners burn their, both burn corners, their yeah, eligibility sure. too. Yeah, If they're, if they're already then, in the three deep on each side, yeah. like, yeah, I, I think yeah. so. And then a punter. So that would be – so that's at least 10 guys of that 20 – was it a 22-man class? 10 yeah. guys of that 21-man class uh, of that class are going to burn a year of eligibility. So, uh, Ryan, at least half the class, in my opinion right now, burns a year and the reason i think it's as low as it is because that's actually a kind of a low number it's mm -hmm. because injuries mm -hmm. right that's part of it it was a 22-man class if janarian price doesn't get hurt he's playing this year and he's burning your eligibility yeah. right yep uh and there's other positions they have a lot of guys on this roster that are at positions that are red shirtable positions quarterback offensive line defensive line those are three positions where i'm still a big believer in red shirting guys if Unless they're just no-brainer, guy's got a player, no-brainer ceiling is such that he's going to be a five-year guy. So right. to me, that's why I come down to the number that I have. It'd be 11 if Jadarian Price doesn't get hurt. No doubt. Uh, easy, no right? Doubt. Yeah. Oh, easy. Easy. Yeah. I mean, it's done by the BYU game <laughs> because he'd have played the first four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, his, his eligibility is burnt by the BYU game if he's if he's not injured. So yep. that's, uh, that's good. Thank you for the super chat, Alan. We appreciate that very much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Michael Esk asked a question, Ryan, and this is a good one. He says, how do Ohio State receivers compare with the best USC re receiving cores that Notre Dame has played in the past five years so ryan take mm -hmm. a crack at that i i think it compares favorably 
I think, look, here's the thing. Here, here's what's funny. Like some, some Ohio State fan in the chat was like, Marvin Harrison Jr. is better than Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm like, okay, can we chill out a little bit on that? Right? Not right like, now he's not. Maybe he you ends say, up being so, but he's, I mean. You could say more talented. Like, you can't say better right, right now. Sure. That right now. Sure. Yeah. If you want to go more talented, they have multiple receivers that are more talented than Jackson Smith and Jigba if we're just talking about pure God-given ability. But he's not a better player right now. But the point is they have a talented receiving court. It's very unproven. Uh, I love the fact that Ohio State fans will come at me, and and there's been some really disrespectful ones this summer, which is really sad. Uh, but they'll say, well, you know, uh, Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka are going to be great players because of why the bowl game. Okay, that's the evidence they have, and they're highly ranked guys. And sure. then though, in the same breath, say Notre Dame has no receivers, and I'm like, you do realize Lorenzo Styles had more yards combined in the bowl game against a, a defense built by Jim Knowles all year than Emeka and Marvin Harrison had in that bowl game, right? You realize Chris Tyree had about as many yards in the in the bowl game as they had, right? So, like, they're going to be good, but Lorenzo Styles, again, a top 100 recruit, isn't. Some of it's just kind of nutty to me. Yeah. And, yep. uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. But that also doesn't take – so I can think that's just silly mm-hmm. and still also sit, step up and say, but you know what? This is still a really good receiving core. I, I also want to remind sure. you for the Ohio State fans who are obsessed with rankings, uh, in the same class – that Marvin Harrison was ranked by rivals. What was it? 82nd. Uh, Lorenzo Styles is ranked 56th. So moving on to the point, this is still a really good receiving core <laughs> for sure uh, for Ohio for state. Sure. And we can say that and be realistic. And it's a, it's a deep core. Uh, it's young. That's the only, that's the only knock I would have on them is they're young, but at the same I'm time, Ryan, right you know, my stance on youth at receiver. I just don't care about as much, as much about it as I do other positions. Uh, mm-hmm. As a former receivers coach, if a kid's got the chops, then it's my job to get him ready to play. They've got a right. really good freshman class of guys who can play. You know, Caleb Brown, as you remember, is a guy I really liked. I thought Keon Grace was one of the more underrated receivers in the country last year. Caleb Burton, I thought, was a tad overrated. Still a top 100 caliber guy. Um, the kid from who, from Georgia, whose name I always forget his last name. I know his first name's Colby. I always forget his last name. He's a really talented player. So they've got a really good, deep, young receiving core that is going to be good. Uh, how does it stack up against some of the receiving cores that USC has had? I think it's USC's had some units that are very similar, Ryan, and and Notre Dame has has held up well against them. And 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 you know you look at USC and was it 2018? You know they had Michael I'm Pittman sure, was, Jr., yeah, Amon yeah. Ross, St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn, mm-hmm. Velas Jones were all on that team uh, mm-hmm. as wide receivers. Uh, they had all those guys the next year, plus Drake London, who had over 500 yards receiving that next year. So you had Michael Pittman, second-round pick, Drake London, first-round pick, Amon Ross St. Brown. What was he, fourth? Fourth-round pick? Uh, Amon Ross, yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. But and he was saved 90-something catches as a as Right. A he was underdrafted. Yeah, no doubt yes. about it. Uh, 2016, that, that group was good, but not quite as good. You had Juju Smith-Schuster, Darius Rogers, Deontay Burnett. Uh, was a good a good group. Uh, the 2015 receiving core was pretty much just Juju, and then a bunch mm-hmm. of Adoree was, I think, their number two leading receiver in yards that year, like 400-something. That wasn't quite the same group. 2014 was a really good receiving core with uh, Nelson Aguilar and, and Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a freshman that year. So, I mean, last five years, I think 
I would say probably the 2018 group is the closest excuse me, the 2019 group is the closest that we've seen to what Ohio State's going to be be thrown out there, in my opinion. And that was a, a pass game that Notre Dame did well against. Yeah. But with all due respect, Michael Pittman, Drake London, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughns is absolutely comparable with what Ohio State's going to be thrown out on Saturday night. It, well, it's all it's always tough, Brian, because obviously, like we know what those players became, right? At like mm-hmm. the peaks of their career, and even in 2019, well, we knew what they became, yes. right? Which is a little yes. tough. I mean, because I, I think that you can make an argument that maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Abuka have more mm-hmm. natural ability than a couple of those guys, but like you know that Pittman Jr. became a All American and a well, second round draft pick, and he was coming off a year in which he he had a lot of production: forty one right. catches, seven hundred fifty eight yards. And then right. Amon Ross St. Brown was coming off of a year where he had sixty for seven fifty. Tyler Vaughn's the year before had fifty eight for six seventy four. To your point, yep. yep, they were proven commodities. And then you had the rookie and Drake London. Yes, you know, so so it, yeah. To your point, yes, there was there was it was much easier to project the production there because those guys had done it. Mm-hmm. And whereas, as I said before, with Emeka and Marvin Harrison, they're incredibly talented, but they combined for fewer than 20 catches last year on right. the season, I believe, or around 20 at the most. I, I think, is, I think Mar- what did Marvin Harrison Jr. had like 11, I think, on the season. Emeka, I think, had nine. Like eight so, or nine, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so. all, almost half of that came in the bowl game, right? Yeah. And And so – Yes, I think it, that that group absolutely can contend with that with this group. Now, the difference is, is that receiving core. Here's the big difference, though. Mm-hmm. That receiving core had Keaton Slovis thrown to it, mm-hmm. and you're trying to to take pressure off of it with, you know, Malapayao at running back, right? Like that's the difference. It's not the yeah. receiving core is not what honestly scares me because there's things you can do to limit it schematically, pass rush. What makes this team dangerous is the trigger man and the fact they've had very good backs. I mean, for all the talk mm-hmm. about how good Ohio State's been at receiver in recent years, I would argue their their recent tradition at running back is even stronger. You got Travion now. You had J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, you were just replacing dudes with dudes. And your, your and boy, Trey guys, Sermon. Don't forget your boy. I mean, you know, you could throw, I'm not the one hammering the kid's draft status on Twitter uh, oh, with all due respect. But, um, oh. <laughs> but that's the thing about that unit, too. It's, it's There are receiving cores that Notre Dame has faced that you could say can contend with this group. There, there have been. It, mm-hmm. The difference is, is that those teams didn't have a C.J. Stroud at quarterback and a Travion Henderson at, receive, at running back. That's the difference to me. Can can I just pull one thing up real quick? I know sure. Seth Bevins just said you forgot they didn't play much because of Lavi and Garrett Wilson. No, nobody's Seth, forgetting that. No, who forgot that, man? Like we're saying that the receiver core could be very good, but there's question marks at the moment. There's like, this yeah. this assumption that oh they're just going to step in, them. but maybe they do. the The point we know right. why they didn't play. That's right. not we've talked about Will Fuller and Golden Tate being six catch guys and going from that to a thousand the next year. They still had to mm-hmm. prove it. Right. Sure. And that's what we're saying is, is it's we're not even talking down the unit. We're just saying that projecting that 2019 receiving core for USC is very similar. Projecting this is even easier than projecting this group. Right. Because, again, because of the fact that they had proven it. And, and I, it's I like, a, the, I, I think there's an ahead, assumption Ryan. now too, Brian, that like I think there's an assumption that you're just going to 
you're just going to lose two first round picks that went top 11 overall. And you're just not going to have any like transitional stuff at all. And I think that's, it's a little silly, man. Like, like I think it's reasonable to expect that like, it's not going to be quite as good as it was, especially early on in the season. Maybe it'll be better. I might be wrong, right? but like, I don't think it's unreasonable to think like, Hey, maybe it's not going to be quite as good as it was last year. Cause not only did you have two first round picks last year, you also had all the guys that we're talking about right now. We're also right. Oh, right. So they're going to be so good that they're going to be better than the combination of Alave, Wilson, and them. And the other thing that annoys me about Ohio State fans, it's saying, being objective and saying, hey, these guys are talented, but they got to prove it, which is exactly what we've been saying about Notre Dame's talented players all summer. It's somehow like disrespectful or we don't know this or that. It's like, it's guys, religious. Yeah. Be, re- be objective. This isn't, this isn't a fanboy show, right? We know why they didn't play last year. We think they're very talented, but to say it's just going to be better in game one than mm-hmm. it was last year is just kind of silly if we're going to be honest about it. Well, well, Brian, I mean, we, and we talked about the Notre Dame offensive line a ton too, right? It's like, we think it's going to be better, but there's a reality where it takes right. a few games to get rolling, right? right? Like there's we've discussed that. There. Yes. Yeah, we've discussed lot. that. <laughs> right. So we'll see how it turns out. But anyway, let's get back to some more questions here, Ryan. we got one from God country, Notre Dame at barbecue for the mailbag if there's time. If Notre Dame has, say, 30 carries from the running backs, how do you see them being distributed also uh, over under 29 and a half carries by the running backs? I mean, I there's just so, so much so much context that needs to go into that one, yeah. Ryan, Yeah, uh, yeah. that it's hard for me to say. I would imagine if – I would hope that it's – I mean, so if there's 30 – and this is just 30 carries in the running backs. So let's say there's 30 carries in the running backs, 10 from Tyler Buckner. And 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 you know, let's say it's eight from Tyler Buckner, like let's say two from the receivers, or ten from Buckner, two from the receivers, something like that. Getting around forty carries. If Notre Dame creeps up to forty carries per game, I'm gonna feel like this is gonna be a competitive game. And oh, yeah. and, and right. now the exception would be is if for some reason they're at like thirty two carries, but they're averaging like seven yards a carry, and okay, then your carries gonna be down. So if the yards per carry goes way up because you're ripping off big runs, and you're not gonna carry as much, but if you know they're around five and a half yards per carry, five to five and a half, you want to get to around 40 carries, and then that gets you around 200 rushing yards. That's ideally where you want to be. Yeah. So I would say, Ryan, in that scenario of just running back carries, I would say, you know, you're going to want to have like, you know, 14. I kind of look at it like 14, eight and eight, or 13, nine and eight uh, in regard to estimate Diggs and, and Tyree is about where I think you'll probably see, or 14, 10, and 6, depending on how. I. The question for me that makes this difficult to answer, Ryan, is I don't know where Logan Diggs is right now from a vo- work volume standpoint coming back from the shoulder. We think he's going to play, but is he a three-carry guy right now because of the pitch count? Is he a six-carry guy? Is he a 10-carry guy? I mm-hmm. don't know the answer to that, but if they carry it only 30 times, I'd say something like maybe 14, 10, and 6, 13, 10 and seven somewhere around there would be where I would be at uh, for that, for that answer. Right. And who would, who would have the most carries in your, in your. Audric. Yeah. Audric I, it's what have... I said when we did our pre our, our, uh, our show on Sunday night, I think Audric leads the team in attempts. And I think Chris Tyree leads the team in yards. That's what I think this is going to be. Now that's a microcosm of what I could see this game kind of playing out. So I'm just and, trying and to be you, consistent think... with what I said at the beginning of the year. 
Sure. And you all, you also, if I remember correctly, you you also think that Chris Tyree may eclipse in total touches. Oh, yes. Over the just oh, carries. yes. This was just right. carries. This is just sure. carries. Like, yep. I'm to me, Chris Tyree needs 13 to 15 carries. It touches a game minimum touches. Sure. Now, if that's eight carries and seven catches, 10 carries, five catches, 11 carries, four catches, I don't care. He needs 15 touches. So I think their touches with Audric may be similar. But, you know, but I think Audric at 14 carries would still get two to three catches, no check downs and a screen or two, that kind of thing. But he said just carries. And so just carries. That's how I kind of, well, I guess that's how I hope the breakdown goes in my opinion. Now, if Chris Tyree has more than 10 carries and Audric Estime has more than 10 carries, I have a feeling that means Notre Dame's offense is rolling pretty good. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you completely there. I, I I was I was just wondering where you kind of had the pecking order to start mm-hmm. the year, and because I, I have the same one, I have it: Audrey Gastame, Chris Tyree, and then Logan Diggs. And that's mostly just because, like you said, what is the volume perspective going to be for a Logan Diggs? Because I think he is going to be mm-hmm. an important part of the offense, you know, for as in a whole season entirety. But for the first game, I think that's. You're going to see, especially Brian, I mean, the more carries you have in this game, the better it says, right? Like if you, right. ha- if Notre Dame has a lot of carries in this game, it's probably because they had a lead at some point, right? And that they're, they're or at least it was a, you were right there. You never had to yes. come out of what your game plan was. Right. And you, you got to, you got to stick front. into what you structurally do well. Right. Exactly. hundred percent. Yep. Yep. So uh, here's a question from a Ohio State fan. I'm a Buckeye. Why do a lot of people act like Ohio State doesn't have motivation? They lost to Michigan. Their defense has been salted over and over. I don't know if I've ever questioned Ohio State's motivation, so I don't really know where that's coming from. So that's a different show, my man. Somebody else might need to address that, but we've never we've never played in the whole, oh, the players are going to be overlooking a Notre Dame. Type. No, we, don't, we don't play that stuff. I, I we do real analysis here. No, it's the first game of the year, and they're playing Notre Dame. I can assure you the Ohio State players – are not looking ahead to who who do they have in week two, Ryan? Do you even remember? It's somebody bad, isn't it? Right. It's, it's like they're it's a... they're they're not looking past Notre Dame to get to, you know, it's like was it like Akron or let me see who they play in it, week it, two. It might so be I like think... a Mac school, something like that. Oh, yeah. uh, let's see here. 2022 Ohio State plays Arkansas State. Yeah, they're not overlooking yeah. Notre Dame to get to that Arkansas State Toledo back to back games. They're gonna be ready for Notre Dame. And right. if Notre Dame beats them, it's because Notre Dame was the better team that day. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not because Ohio State overlooked them or wasn't ready or took them seriously. And and if you're Notre Dame, you need to be prepared for Ohio State's best shot because they're going to give it to you. And and also, I, I think Ohio State understands that, like, Notre Dame is the biggest threat to overtaking them as the Midwest power. Right. Like, I think I think they understand that. I, I would yeah. think. And they have a competent well, coach. They I, don't, I think they've been drilled. In that I don't think Ohio State's players are going to look at Notre Dame as a threat. Just like I don't think Notre Dame necessarily looks at Ohio State as a threat. I think it's it, this is a really good team that's standing between our goals. That's what I look at it as. When what is the goals for Ohio State? It's Ryan Day said them, I think, yesterday. Beat the team up north, win the Big Ten championship, win a national championship. The reality is, is you can do two of those things, beat the team up north and win the Big Ten championship, but not have an opportunity to do the third if you don't handle your business against Notre Dame. Yep. Right now, I think if they lose to Notre Dame, but it's a competitive game. I think I've said this already for you Ohio State fans who didn't do listen to our season preview. I said the loser of this game will be in the playoff because I think whoever loses this game runs the table. If Notre Dame is somehow able to beat Ohio State, I think that's going to be something that's going to really piss this Ohio State team off, and I feel really bad for the Big Ten. I do, mm-hmm. really bad. Like I don't think they'll play a 10-point game or less 
all year in the Big Ten if they lose to Notre Dame. I, I just that's how I feel. So, but if you get blown out by Notre Dame, you run the same risk that happened to Ohio State in 2018. In all but one game against Purdue, that Ohio State team looked like a playoff team, except for one game in October against Purdue, and that kept them out of the playoff. Right. So that's the only reason I that's the only way I think it'd be a situation where they don't make it, which, again, is motivation for Ohio State to come out and play well. So there's nobody on this channel. Neither one of us are sitting there talking about Ohio State's not motivated to play. They don't need motivation. And it's not even about Michigan or overcoming a loss to Michigan. That, that got worked out already. This is about looking forward to what their goals and their objectives are. And Notre Dame is a team that's standing between them and their objectives. And that's why we think Ohio State will be ready for this football game. Let's go down here. Christopher O'Kiki. I'm the Chris you met on the turnpike. It was very nice meeting you the other day, Chris. I appreciate you coming over and saying hi and um, appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, I do. very Appreciate it very much. Ryan Loftus said he spoke to Bryce McPherson the other day, and he said he'll be on kickoff Saturday. Would have thought he would be punting. I'm excited about his debut. And we, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Ryan. The expectation has kind of always been that Bryce would do kickoffs early on. Blake Groupie would handle the PAT and field goals, and then John Sott would be the punter. Uh, as long as they're all healthy, we expect that to 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 be continue to be the case. David Lowe asks Irish fans if Tyler Buckner runs for 100 yards and throws for over 200 yards, are we winning? You know, David, it's like with anything. There's just got to be more context to it than that. You know, I I believe if I remember correctly. You know, like what you don't want to have a situation of is is I and I'm going to try to to find this on on ESPN. But you remember like the 2006 game against USC, where Brady Quinn ripped off like a 70 yard run against USC in 2006. And if you look at Brady's stat line from that game, I'm actually pulling it up right now. If you look at Brady's stat line from that game. It's kind of similar to the one you're talking about. You know, Brady threw for 274 yards and three touchdowns, no picks, ran for 74 yards in that game because he had a 60-yard run, and they got blown out. So there's a lot of context needed. Like if Tyler Buckner has like a 60, 70-yard run when they're down 27, he's probably going to end up with over 200 yards, 100 yards rushing, and he'd probably over have 200 yards passing. There's just more context that's needed to me than that. I would want to know. I think he's got to get more than 200 passing. It's got to be, you said over, but I think it, I'd be feel better if it was like around 250. Sure. You know, I'd feel good there. Uh, but I would say this barring some sort of weird context, if he has a stat line of around 250 and 100, this is going to be a good football game. Yeah. That I do it, think. Because I think it, of the opportunities it does open up for other people. Yeah, I think if there's nothing wild about the context too, Brian, like I would say like if these this is the stat line that you're working with, 200 plus, 100 plus, it tells me that you were probably pretty balanced that day, right? Like right. most likely, more than right. more, more than more often than not, that means right. that your your offense was probably humming at a pretty good pace, right? A pretty good kind of distribution of of volume as well. So I, David asked this one, I think, yesterday as well, and we answered a little bit, and I, I kind of said the same thing. I was like, in theory, like in theory, that looks good, right? Like I would look at that and be like, huh, they probably had a pretty good get, pretty good day, 
but what was the context of how you got to those stats? What were the turnovers implied in there? What were, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of other things. What did the rest of the rushing attack do that day? Like there's, there's other factors, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, I would say that's probably a very balanced offensive day. Most likely. You just always got to be careful of numbers getting padded because of a big play that doesn't necessarily shift the momentum of a football game. That that's, that's the reason I would, say that like you just you just have to be careful with that you know and mm-hmm. and um because when we talk about big plays one big play is not beating ohio state unless it's the last play of the game of the offense sure. you know that it, it's not you're not going to win because of that one play meaning that fuels everything else necessarily so one bit i mean we've seen it we've seen guys put up big stat lines in games they lost mm-hmm. it just but yes i would i would tend to think that it's going to make for a competitive game Yes, I, I do. Let's get down here to Blaine Tiller. How many deep balls would you expect to see Notre Dame take per half in order to keep the secondary and linebacker to keep from cheating the line? Blaine, it's not about the volume. It's about the effectiveness. They can only throw two, and I'm, I'm going to be happy. Uh, it, it's about do you hit them? Because honestly, for me, Ryan, if they're throwing a bunch of deep balls, that's probably problematic for me. It means that they're not hitting them, and you have to keep yeah. throwing them. Sure. Uh, for me, it's about, you know, it's about, are you hitting them? You only have to hit a couple of them, in my mm-hmm. opinion, for this thing really to, to, to take off. And, and so that's kind of what I look at. Like, you know, we've talked about the, the USC game from 2017 a lot, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon Wimbush threw seven deep balls that game. He went two, he went three of seven. He, <laughs> he didn't have a great percentage, but he hit two early. Yeah. And that was the key. Right. And so, that's what I care a little bit more about is that you you hit some early. I think if they can hit two to three deep balls in the first half, just hit them. I don't care that they take eight shots. I you know because here's the thing: the more shots you take deep, I, if like we talked about this the other day, C.J. Stroud had a fifty-one something percent completion percentage on on deep balls. Yes, if I remember correctly, and I'm going to look this up while we're talking. I don't believe Trevor Lawrence ever completed 50% of his deep balls at Clemson. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look this up real quick. I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm, I'm accurate with that statistic. I, I, I don't think he ever did that. So I'm looking here now. He completed 43.1 in 2020. He completed 40.1. He completed 41.1% in 2019. And then in 2018, he completed 42.4%. And so when you're at 50%, you're really good. Having said that, that means the other 50%, you're getting zero, Mm -hmm. right? And you don't want to have a bunch of zero plays on your docket, right? Now, if a couple of those zeros happen on second and one, okay, you took your shot and you stretch the defense and let them know that you're here. But I care more about hitting them than I do about volume. And if you can hit a couple big ones early, then yeah, but if you know you don't want to be taking a bunch of shots and they're not incomplete. Like if Notre Dame takes like eight, nine shots in the first half, deep shots, one of two things is true. One, they're not scoring a lot because there are a lot of incompletions. And mm-hmm. and there's probably a couple deep shot Tyler Buckner scrambling around trying to launch one down the field on third and ten. Option number two, Notre Dame is killing Ohio State because they hit like six of them, right? I mean, it's gonna be one or the other, right? You don't want like eight, nine deep shots. You want maybe three or four, maybe, but it's more about hitting them. That's what I care yes. about, Ryan, hit them. 
Efficiency. I don't care about the volume. Efficiency. Yes. Efficiency yes. and explosiveness. We've been talking about this, right? You want to create explosive plays, but you also want to be efficient on top of the explosive right. plays. Like that's, yeah. Yep. You want to be able to take advantage. And I mean, Brian, like, again, you're playing against a really good football team. So you need to take advantage of your opportunities, right? Like that's pretty basic. I, I'm not breaking news by saying like Notre Dame, when they have an opportunity to make a big play, they got to make it because you're playing against a team that if you don't, they can jump on you quick. They can, and yeah. they can put numbers up and they can continue to come along because they're that talented offensively. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. You have to take advantages when you have them. Right. I know that was breaking it, news, you know, take advantage yeah, know, and you right. win. Wow. <laughs> right. Score more points and you're going to win. Yes. Thank you. Uh, but sometimes the obvious is the is the correct answer. Here's yeah. an interesting one, Ryan. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. Alan Watson with a super chat. Alan asks, are all penalties bad? Go Irish. In college football, no. All penalties are not bad, in my opinion. In, in so in, in the NFL, you have the spot foul, right? On the uh, on pass interference. So like if I tackle a guy four yards downfield so he doesn't have a completion, you get four yards, right? In college football, mm-hmm. you get fifteen. So uh, what's worse, giving up a 40-yard pass or taking a 15-yard penalty? So, no, in, in that theory, not all penalties sure. are bad. Usually it's a bad indicator, though. It usually is. Like, if, you, if you're if you a team that gets heavily penalized, usually you're not a very good team. You're definitely not disciplined right. in, for the most part. But, yes, Alan, I would say some penalties are not bad. They right. aren't great either. But, like, again, I'd rather have a 15-yard penalty than a 40-yard completion. Sure. That's a That's a – Really good one. That was one I was going to kind of go with. And sometimes I don't mind an aggressiveness penalty early in the game. Sure. You know, where, where, you know, you just, you're really just come out and drill a guy and, you know, yeah, it gives you a 15 yard penalty, but uh, you know, like Bobby Bowden had this philosophy. Like he, he wasn't necessarily someone who kind of looked at penalties and was like, Hey, you know, every 15 yard penalty, every penalty is a bad one. I, I think it's the context, but yeah, there's some penalties I think are smart ones, you know, like, um, You know, I even say 10, it's acceptable. I, like, I, I, I even think an example is like Brian. Like, if, if, if somebody is like takes a late hit on your quarterback, right, and an offensive lineman just kind of gets in the guy's face and gets yeah. like a 15 yard penalty, it's like I, I'll accept yeah. that, man. Goes like, out and just drills the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You let a t- hey, you're not going to mess with our guy. Uh, offensive tackle gets called for holding, and so it's first and 20 instead of second and 18. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. You know, as long as it's like okay, this guy smoked me. Now you got to be careful there because sometimes you you know let the quarterback climb the pocket and get a throw off or whatever. But you know there there's sometimes you look at it and say now I will say this too. There's very few times I'm going to be accepting of a penalty, but yes. there are instances where it is it is a good thing in my opinion. The penalties that I hate is there are certain positions where it's not okay to ever get a penalty. I hate mm-hmm. when receivers get penalties. Like I can't think of a now this could be my bias, mm-hmm. but I can't think of a scenario in which a receiver getting a penalty is a good thing. But as soon as I said that, okay, you yank a guy down to, to who's about to intercept the pass because your quarterback threw a terrible pass. You get an OPI. Right. Yeah. Like that is like, again, so like there's always that one scenario where it's like, okay, in that extreme, I can live with it, you know. Uh, but that depends on the certain – it was third and 15 and we took a bomb shot. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? Now they're just they're they're just going to, you know, back us up and make us do it again kind of thing or whatever. So um, – yeah, I don't. I, I you, there aren't many, but there are. Times. Here, here's a different layer. What penalty drives you the craziest? I remember when I coached high school. Oh, every like other game, you would have a wide receiver go off sides. Yeah, and I'm just like, 
guy. What are you? Uh, I can't. The, I can't bit, the right worst now. one for me is when receivers are not lined up correctly. Uh, yeah, not yeah, not yeah. when the ball gets snapped before they're set. That's on the quarterback for me. Yeah. Like, dude, you got you got to, but more of like when you know you're supposed to be on the ball and you're not, mm-hmm. and like the Miles Boykin penalty against against Michigan in 2018 pissed me off so bad. It's 21 nothing, and he catches a touchdown pass, but it gets caught 28 10, and they would have rolled Michigan at that point in time. But instead. Mm-hmm. He's covering up Cole Komet because he's not lined up correctly, and it comes back. You end up getting a field goal. Michigan needs one score to make it a game, right? Mm-hmm. Now that score makes it 28-17 if you don't have that penalty. Those are like just not being locked in penalties. I hate false starts. I hate offsides. But yeah. they don't bother me as much as that because in that instance, it's like it's a quick reaction. When you're just looking in – and I know I'm supposed to be on the ball, or I can look and see we don't have enough dudes on the line. Those are the ones that drive me nuts because it also means a lot of people aren't paying attention. The receiver's not locked in. The quarterback's not locked in. Like I always felt this way. If the if if you're lined up incorrectly at receiver, the receiver is the first person to blame. The second person I was going to is the quarterback. Dude, you knew the formation we're in. Why didn't you yeah. get that guy lined up? You're the quarterback of this team. That's one that drives me absolutely nuts, Ryan, as an offensive guy. You know, one that I, drives me nuts that I think is just a stupid penalty is what that you can't jump over the uh, snapper or whatever yes. to block a field goal. I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's a dumb <laughs> sure, sure. It's a really dumb penalty. Really <laughs> dumb penalty. Yes, yes. All right, here's an, here's one from Leighton Burkholder. Says question for B Ryan as a Notre Dame fan watching the game. What are some specific clues to watch for early in the game that show that Notre Dame is doing the things that it needs to do to win the game? Leighton, I'm I'm going to say this kind of generically, and then I'm going to give you a couple finer points. But honestly, the things we talked about in the breakdown, right? Is mm-hmm. Notre Dame running the ball? Are they being physical to line of scrimmage? Uh, I you know are they, are they getting being disruptive? Are they getting hits on the quarterback? Like all the things we talked about in our in our keys of the game, I think are things that all lead to that first point, which is start fast, right? And so they all kind of lead to your question. But I think more specifically on top of those things, because I don't want to be like, well, just listen to the hour show we just did. That's true. But here is a couple things, Ryan. One -hmm. thing I think is going to be very important early, and this is sort of an all-encompassing key, how do you respond to adversity? How does Notre Dame handle a turnover by the offense? Do they hold Ohio State to a field goal? How does the offense handle an adversity or positive change? You know, changes. How do you handle sudden change? Your offense, your defense gives you a short field. How do you respond to? Are you because this will happen sometimes? Your defense gets you the ball quick, and they give you great field position. You're not ready. You're in, you're sitting right. there with the offensive line coach and the receivers coach, and you're getting talking about stuff. Oh shoot! Get my helmet. I got to run in. We just got the ball, and you're not locked in, and you end up selling for a field goal. I think of the Clemson game in 2020, where you know what was the score at the time? It was I think 20 to 13, and Jeremiah Wusukormo had just returned a, a fumble for a touchdown. The very next drive, he forces a fumble on like third and six. Remember, he comes from behind, strips it from Amari Rogers. They recover. The offense was not ready for that drive. They go yeah. out and they lose two yards. And so instead of it being 27 to 13, because here's how close they were to the end zone, they lost yards on the drive and still kicked the field goal. Yep. You go punch that sucker in the end zone, and all of a sudden that's a 27-13 game. 
we're having a whole different conversation about how that game plays out. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's that, that kind of thing too, is how do you handle adversity slash sudden change situations? If the other, if Ohio state scores, how does the Notre Dame offense and then defense respond? If the offense scores, how does the Notre Dame defense respond? Those type of things. I think that's going to be a key for me is how does this team handle things that get them off of their normal thoughts and routines? How do they handle adversity is going to be a big part of this game as well. Mine are a couple of generic things, I guess. Uh, one is the where the line of scrimmage ends up, both offensively and defensively. Is it playing in your favor? So offensively, if you're running the football, are, are you asserting a new line of scrimmage in your favor? Defensively, are you creating havoc in the backfield by asserting your line of scrimmage in your favor that way? And then the the other thing for me, Brian, is I want to see who has more missed tackles, right? Yeah. Like that is the biggest thing that I want to see because I think Notre one. Dame has some players that can create big plays. I know Ohio State does, right? And we've talked about limiting impact a lot this week. I want to see Jackson Smith and Jayba catches a a five yard in uh, like a five yard slant, but he only gets seven a seven yard gain instead mm-hmm. of breaking it for twenty five, right? Like I don't want to see that, but I want to see Lorenzo Styles be able to kind of do that conversely right so i think number of broken tackles on both sides of the fact and it who's asserting the line of scrimmage better in their favor i think if notre dame does both of those things and are winning both of those convincingly then i like their chances but you know again we'll, we'll see how it plays out to your point ryan ohio state played 13 games last year correct notre dame played 13 games yep notre dame on the season was credited with i think uh i'm looking at 113 missed tackles last year way too many that's almost 10 a game ohio state last year was credited this is according to pro football focus was credited with 152 missed tackles last year so that's a lot of of missed tackles (laughs) and and so and you know ronnie hickman had 15 tommy eichenberg had 11 taraja mitchell had 11 cody simon had 10 now two of those guys aren't in the starting lineup now and i would imagine that's part of it but the the point is that's a that's a lot of missed tackles, right? Yes. And Notre Dame had a lot of missed tackles as well. You know, JD Bertrand had 19. Next couple guys had eight, right? Clarence Lewis had JD seven. Had 19. 19. Last year. Yeah, 19. Some of them I remember going through the season, and this is going to be true for Ohio State's, I'm sure, as well. Some of them were like, dude, that's not a missed tackle. Like, come on. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think? He was never there. Um, he didn't make a good play, but that wasn't a missed tackle. No, he had he had 19. Now, if I remember correctly, he had a bunch in like a game or two. He had four against four against Oklahoma State. Mm. Yeah, so he had a lot of those. But he had like three against Florida State, three against Purdue. A couple of the ones against Florida State, I was like, that's not a missed tackle. But still, you take three or four away, that's still a lot of missed tackles. <laughs> yes. Right? And and the, yeah. and they're, and they're you could go through the Ohio State scene like, dude, that's not a missed tackle. Come on, man. Like that, no. You know, that's ridiculous. And sometimes it's three missed tackles on one play which adds to – it's not like 152 different times that someone missed a tackle on 152 sure. different same plays. Same process. Yeah, right. right, right, right. But the point is that both of them had way too many missed tackles, which goes to Ryan's point. The team that tackles better or the team that forces the most misses in the tackling game is mm-hmm. the one that could have a big – it could be have a – in a game that we expect to be somewhat competitive, one way or the other, those are the types of things that have a really big impact in the game. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Quinn Kibler says for the mailbag, if Chancey Stuckey was at Notre Dame in 2019 and 2020, would book have been better trying to gauge the jump we will see in production? I know books issues were, were between the ears a bit also. No, I don't think it would have been a whole lot different to be honest with you. 
I mean, it would have um, been better for the receivers, sure. right? Like, well, the, the current version of Chancey Stuckey, anyway. Chancey right. Stuckey in 2019, who knows, right? I but, mean, honestly, a guy that played as long in the NFL as he did, like, dude, like the first year I coached receivers, uh, dude, I had an All-American and two All-Conference kids, right? Like, if you got the chops, yeah. you got the chops. And if you have talent, you have talent. I have sure. a feeling he would have enjoyed working with Chase Claypool. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, um, yes. But, no, I don't think they would have been a whole lot better. Uh, Book would have been a whole lot better simply because – I don't think books Ian books problem was he just wasn't willing to pull the trigger in the games that mattered. And I don't think in the big games, you're not getting five yards of separation and against Bama in 2020 or Clemson in 2020, or, or, you know, if you would have, you know, George in 2020, I mean, you were still going to have to pull the trigger and show some guts. And, and that was kind of always my issue with Ian book. And I don't think it would have mattered a whole lot. I mean, the saints right now have, in my opinion, one of the best receiving cores in football or best receiving coach receiving coaches in football in Curtis Johnson. I believe Curtis Johnson is still with the Saints, correct? So receivers so. coach. I think so. And Ian Book still won't throw the ball. I mean, I think his last preseason game, if I saw correctly, Ryan, he averaged mm-hmm. like four point four yards per attempt. That's wasn't great, man. Wasn't and, great. and I know it's different for uh the NFL than college. Sure. You know, like a, a 10 yards per attempt in the NFL in college football is not going to be 10 yards per attempt in the NFL. I get, I get all that, but still, um, that's, uh, that's not good. Actually, no. Cody Burns is now the receivers coach for the saints. So he, it's his oh, first, it's his first year. Mm-hmm. Remember he left oh, Georgia okay. Tech. Now that I remember, like, I think he, he's the guy that left Georgia tech right at the end of the spring. If I remember correctly, no, he was a Tennessee. That's the guy that left Tennessee. The other guy went to the Ravens. Uh, he left Tennessee, and that's one of the things that hurt them with Cardinal Tate. Now that I you say that, I remember. Gotcha. But Curtis Johnson was, was their the, receiving coach up to the point. He was the right. Auburn quarterback turned receiver, right? Yep. That's Cody Burns. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I remember mm-hmm. Cody Burns. Yep. Yep. So no, I don't think it would have made Ian Book a whole lot better. I think it would have helped last year. I think it would have definitely helped Jack Cohn a lot more than it would have helped Ian Book, in my opinion. I, I it would have helped Ian some... Book's. Uh, can I change yeah. this? It would have yeah, helped Ian Book statistically. Because against some of the not the inferior teams, he would have put up better numbers in those games where he was more willing to throw the ball down the field. A better co- coached group of players would have helped them. Is that fair to say? But it wouldn't mm-hmm. have changed things a whole lot better when the games mattered. With Jack Cohn, I think it would have because Jack showed a willingness in the big games to attack people. He just didn't have support, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Well, said, I, I just saw Ryan? I just saw someone had said that uh, Ian Book got cut for the Saints. We know. We know yeah. we, he was just saying for this preseason, he was right. with the Saints, obviously. So that's right. why the example happened. Yep. And that's partly why he got cut. Yes. The Eagles claimed him, correct? Yeah. So he's on the Eagles now. That's yep. going to be interesting. Whew. Okay. Uh, Bill Walsh says Bama moved Devontae Smith around. I got the ball to him in space. We need to do that with, with Lorenzo Styles. Bill, I could not agree more. I think you I need to do that with a couple yeah. receivers. Ray Lindsay's <laughs> another one. I don't yeah. want to see them just lining up X, Y, and uh, X, Z, and W, and they're just in that one spot the whole game. Yeah, I don't want to see that. I don't, and no, I don't yeah. think that's what we'll see from Tommy Reese. But you know, again, got to see it to believe it. But I, I think that's it's. It's a perfect example though that Alabama game when I talked about you need to tackle better. That's a perfect one, right? Like I think about mm-hmm. Devonta Smith just running a bubble screen, and that I mean that's. It's how they won, man. Their athletes were better in space, and Notre Dame's athletes were better in space. That's the point blank to it. So, yep, yep, no doubt, no doubt. Next question from Milton Fan Fifteen: 
Uh, maybe a dumb question, but what position does Foskey play in the NFL, defensive end or linebacker? The Viper position confuses me as it relates to professional teams. Let me just say one thing real quick, and I want to get yep. your opinion, Ryan. Yep. Uh, I think that the Viper position for Notre Dame translates more to a defensive end, uh, at least it will this year. I thought last year they did more stuff that could be viewed as a 3-4 linebacker, but I think this year's version is going to be as an end but I never loved Isaiah Foskey in the scenarios that were asking him to play like a three, four outside linebacker. And I think sometimes you can say a guy can do both, but mm-hmm. for me, I do think Isaiah Foskey can play in a three, four as a three, four outside linebacker. Just like yeah. I think Bradley Chubb played as a three, four outside linebacker. I think Bradley Chubb would have been better off playing as a four down end. However, that's just my opinion. Yes. And I feel the same way about Isaiah Foskey. Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty easy for me. I, I, I think I already wrote like a preseason scouting report on uh, Isaiah Foskey where I said that ideally he's a 4-3 defensive end with his hand in the dirt. Like he can do some stand-up rusher stuff at times. But to your point, Brian, like if he's a, a Pittsburgh Steeler, for instance, right, it still runs kind of the 3-4 base type of thing. He would be great as a Bud Dupree type of player, right, where you're not playing him in space a ton. So he's not like the Sam linebacker in the 3-4. He's your weak side player. So he's rushing the quarterback more often than not. I don't want him working it's in like space a stand-up a ton. end is basically what yes. he's doing, right? Yes. That's all it is. Yeah, because you're going to slant away, and he's the weak side defensive end. That's really what he is, right? right? I, I I want Isaiah Foskey going that way, not that way. That's all, right. that's all it comes down to. I want 100%. him attacking the quarterback. 100%. Yep. So again, could be three down, could be four down, but the point is the same. That's the role for him. And I, I just have never felt like the Broncos really found a, 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 a role that fit what Bradley Chubb does well, in my opinion. Yeah. And injuries and Brad, have hurt Brad, him too, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that that was, I mean, Bradley getting hurt in what was his second year or third year, yeah. whatever it was that like really yeah. hurt him a lot, his development, but right. still, I think he's still a good player when he's healthy, but you know. Right. Let's get to some more. B. Ryan, who is your sleeper quarterback on Notre Dame's schedule? Ryan, we've kind of talked about this one before. You want to go ahead and and uh, get into that one? There's a couple, I think, that we could discuss on this one. I think yeah, the kid, the kid that they're going to face the first weekend of October, first game in October, I think, for me, is the sleeper one that tops my Jaren list. Hall. How about you? Yeah, Jaron Hall, it's a, it's a good yeah. one. Yeah, I think I think that's the one that makes the most sense, honestly. I mean, I guess it could could you still call the kid from Stanford as a sleeper? I guess. I mean, I when mean, you're talking about being projected as a potential top ten NFL draft right. pick, I don't think you're a sleeper anymore. Right. Sure. Um, I, should so I guess be. Yeah. Jaron Hall is the most underrated quarterback probably on on the schedule. I'd say from BYU. They came from UNLV, just had a really nice game. I know it was against uh, some FCS team, so like, let's see if that translates yeah. much. But like, he had a nice game. I actually kind of like look. Garrett Schrader is not going to look great from Syracuse. That was going to be my other one. But like if you're running an offense where you're accentuating his skills as a runner, he's a really good running quarterback. There's no doubt. So I'd say Schrader or I'd say Hall from BYU are both good players for their system that they play. I think Schrader can and should be a better passer than what he was last year. I don't think they really. Yes, I think he can. I think he can throw the ball better than what we saw last year. Part of it was just him you know, getting used to a new system. And then part of it is, I don't think, I thought they overplayed to his running ability last year. In my opinion, it, it was just not a real creative pass offense. Mm-mm. If they change that this year, then I could see a scenario in which Syracuse is a little bit more potent on offense than right now. I expect them to be. And that's going to be an interesting thing to look for this year. Ryan is, is what kind of, you know, what kind of change are going to have? Because, 
the guy that's running their offense this year, you know who their offensive coordinator is, right? It's Robert and I, who was at Virginia last year. Mm. It's a whole different type of offense. Now, they they were a uh, very wide open offense. Right. (laughs) Now, the the thing about him is you're not going to see him running the offense they used with Brennan Armstrong last year. But go back and watch some Bryce Perkins film when he was the offensive coordinator with Bryce Perkins. I'm not saying that Garrett that, that Schrader is as good as Bryce Perkins, but I could see some stuff like that where you're where he is throwing using the run to to set up throws and and you know be do more damage from the pocket. I think that's a kid that if if the offense is if the you know look he he produced some look. I, I don't know why this guy never gets talked about. He's an older guy. Maybe that's why. But the reality is, is this guy's produced two of the best quarterbacks to play in the ACC for schools not named Clemson in the last five years. Right? I mean, he was the receivers coach. I'm talking about as the coordinator. Bryce Perkins and Brennan Armstrong are two of the best quarterbacks in the ACC not named Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson in the last five or six years. I mean, this question was about underrated quarterbacks, sleeper quarterbacks. Was there any bigger one when, when when Bryce Perkins was with Virginia? Man, he was a really yeah. good football player, really, really good player. player. Still yeah. in the NFL, I believe, or at least he was in spring he, camp. I don't know if he got he's cut been or not. With the Rams last couple years, yeah. I think on the practice squad. I don't know if he made yeah. the team this year or or not. But yeah, yeah, I mean, he played pretty well in the preseason too, man. Yeah. He's not a bad little player. He's not. Right. Detroit Hunter says his twins are coming Sunday at ten o'clock. C section taking me from three to five, buddy. Congratulations. Very, very happy for you. Hope everything goes well with you and the missus. Uh, and uh, you and Vince need to talk, man. He can give you all. It's very funny. He's going from three to five because of twins. And Vince went from, well, two to four. Or no, he went from one to three with twins. And now he's up to five. So his <sighs> twins came earlier. So he went from one to three. Uh, and, but, uh, yeah, get with Vince. He can help you on how to handle having five kids with two of them being twins. Uh, so So good luck to you, buddy. No God doubt. bless you guys, man. I cannot yeah. imagine having five kids. It takes no. a special type of person. Me, me neither, buddy. Me neither. <laughs> got a super chat from Michael. Uh, he's got two of them. We'll kind of put them together. Uh, his first super chat is, did Ohio State play a Buckner-type dual-threat quarterback last year, and how did they do? And then the second part of his question is, how does Ohio State defend Buckner? So let's take that first one, Ryan, is did Ohio State play anybody with a quarterback that's like Tyler Buckner last year? Mm-hmm. I don't think – I mean – I'd say the closest thing they kind of had was probably the kid from Nebraska who is not very good, but he's probably the most dual threaty of yeah. that. I don't really consider Cameron. I mean, Cameron rising is, is sort of a dual threat, but not really. I mean, his numbers are good. He, he had some good production last year in a run game, mm-hmm. uh, had 499 yards, six touchdowns, but he was more of a scrambler could do the occasional run. I, I don't view him as the same buck, the but, but, boat as, as Tyler Buckner, but he was probably the second or third most productive quarterback that they played last year as a runner. And how about um, gashed Ohio State? I mean, look, Ryan, he had 11 carries for 92 yards and a touchdown against Ohio mm-hmm. State. And he went 17 of 22 for 214 yards and two touchdowns. And, and Utah scored 45 points, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah I, I would say they didn't handle it really well. Like Notre Dame doesn't handle dual threat quarterbacks really well either. I was going to throw one other name is uh, Talia Tango Vailoa. He's pretty British player, but I think, sometimes. I think they killed him, right? I think they killed sometimes. Him that game. Maryland, he is a, he is the epitome, and I don't know if it's if it's the Maryland impact on him or him just fitting mm-hmm. Maryland, but he is such a 
on some Saturdays, you're like, wow, that kid looks really good. And on other Saturdays, you're like, how is this kid on scholarship? I say that hyperbolically, right? Like, of course, I know why he's on scholarship. But, like, this kid should not be starting for them. And then other games, like, man, this kid's really good. And that's the interesting thing about Maryland is they actually have talent. They have actually have, – they're, they're, I would say, one of the – I'll say this. They're in the top half of the Big Ten when it comes to just athletic rosters. Do you agree with mm-hmm. that? Oh yeah, they just offensively, they just especially. <laughs> never know what they're going to get if they can just fi- if Mike Loxley can just find some level of consistency. Maryland could be a six to or seven to eight win team this year, in my opinion. Because they, they have right. a couple, they have a couple good offensive linemen, Brian, yeah. and they also have Dante Demas coming back from injury. Yeah. They have the Rakeem Jarrett, Rakeem Jarrett, who's a good yeah. football player. Like they, they have some weapons. Yeah, there, like right? Anthony McFarland a couple years ago, and I mean, it just yeah. it's strength. And like you saw it against Ohio State a couple years ago. Uh, you remember that game that Maryland had against it was it was it I think it was Anthony McFarland's last McFarlane year. McFarland was ripping off runs all day oh my early gosh. on. That, man, <laughs> and it was insane. It was like, what the heck is going on right now? And if I remember, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to remember what year that was. Was it 19? Uh, no, it wasn't 19. It was 18. It was 2018. Mm-hmm. They ran against Ohio State. They had 405 yard passing yards, 283 rushing yards, and scored 51 points against Ohio State. You know what they did the next week against Penn State? They had th- they had three points. But here's the thing. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. That was Ohio State's numbers against Ohio State. I was looking at total defense against Ohio State. They scored 51 points at 196 passing yards and 339 rushing yards against Ohio That's State. Crazy. Went for 535. Do you know what they did the game before that against Indiana? They had 542 yards. But here's the funny thing is, here's what was bracketed around that. Against Michigan State before Indiana, 100 yards of total offense and three points. A week after Ohio State, you scored 51 stinking points against Ohio State in 2018. That wasn't a great defense, but it was still Ohio State. The next week against Penn State, they scored three points and had 259 yards of offense. The week before, they had 100 yards against Michigan State, they scored 63 points and had 712 yards against Illinois. The week before that against Iowa, they scored zero points and 115 yards. That is the most bizarre type of stuff I've seen in my life, and that's just kind of been Maryland's MO before Loxley and since Loxley. That is the weirdest team in college football, in my opinion, that there's just games they can look like a million bucks. Like, how do you score 51 points on Ohio State and zero against Iowa and 14 against Temple in the same year? It's the weirdest thing, the absolute weirdest thing. I'll never make figure that and, team out. They make them tough in Temple, man. Oh, yeah, okay. We're going to move on from that one. <laughs> not a lot of Jersey kids on that roster. But back to the original point, Ryan, Yeah, I do think Ohio State has had trouble with dual-threat quarterbacks. I mean, I, I don't consider Anthony Brown a dual-threat quarterback, but he had a couple couple nice scrambles in that game. You know, I mean, he he put up decent numbers last year, but – you know, against Ohio State, he had 65 yards rushing on 10 carries. I mean, they've had some issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think he or Cameron Rising are Tyler Buckner type of athletes. So, uh, but you know who else has trouble with dual threat quarterbacks? Just about everybody else. I mean, <laughs> <Right>. Notre Dame. <laughs> yes, there's, there's a reason yeah. why teams want that. It's because it's hard to defend. You just have to have way better players than the other team. That's really what it comes down to. You just have to have way better players. And how they defend Buckner, I think there's a couple things they need to do. They need to kind of take a little bit of a page from Ohio State's book, and that is mix up your looks to get him guessing, make him think it's all it's it's, it's a you know 
zero fire and then bail and jump under, maybe can jump under a quick slant or something like that or knock it down or, you know, get him thinking he's going to bang a little RPO quick outcut and then you squat on it. And he's got to now, oh, shoot, I'm scrambling. Because if you can take away that read on an RPO, it's like, okay, what do you do now? The line's run blocking. You thought right. you were banging that quick hitch or that quick out, and now it's it's eaten up. Now you got to run around a scramble. Maybe you can tackle him for a loss. Those are going to be things to to look for. Uh, and then control you know, they not don't let Notre Dame control the line of scrimmage. You know do, mm-hmm. what we talked about earlier is true. The other way is don't let him drag out his read zones. Make him declare early. You know, make him pull that sucker now because you've crashed hard or because you got to push up front or something like that. That's really the way to do it. It's it's easy to say. It's just not always easy to do in my opinion. RH, another one of our, our Ohio State fans who's who's been a really good part of this uh, some conversations this year, which we appreciate you. It says, uh, scheme question for Brian. I'm going to do two straight RH questions, or one question, one comment. Uh, scheme question, Brian. How would you defend 12 personnel scheme that Day loves when they put the second tight end in the slot boundary and have two receivers to the field side, overhang safety has to choose? I honestly wouldn't really – I would have my overhang safety, number one, uh, be I mean for Notre Dame it'd be the rover I'd have him focus on the perimeter I'd say look well I would probably just say look you guys aggressively take that on uh I would have a quarters type of look to that side Ryan most likely and kind of have that be my alley player and have my overhang whether whether it's I whether I bring this a safety down and have a guy over top and maybe have my rover backside that's the other option is you can kind of have your rover backside and just kind of roll your safeties down. So you put your boundary safety to the middle of the field and then you bring your other safety down and put your rover backside with your corner stacked over top, sort of playing that second safety role. That's another potential sort of alignment if you're going to go. Because basically what he's saying, if I if I am hearing this correctly, so it's 12 personnel and the, the tight end is going to be the slot boundary side, which basically is like, I mean, he, he's pretty tight to the line of scrimmage because of your, the work, what you're working with. I'm not worried about that guy being a pass game threat. It's just about, okay, taking away the quick perimeter stuff. So I'd mm-hmm. probably play my corner tight to try to buy alignment, take away the quick now screens. Cause that would be the only thing I'd be worried about is that quick now screen where you can let that tight end get downfield, get your corner blocked, make him have to cut back inside and try to make my linebackers miss yep. is what I have to do. It's just about trying to throw off the timing. So those are a couple of the different things I would do is I would be more focused on the run game there and then trying to protect the deep ball outside. That's what I would do. Try to funnel everything back inside. That's what I would yep. kind of the different different possible options to look at. Anything else to add to that, Ryan? No, no. I, I think the okay. the only thing I was going to add was what you just said is funneling everything inside. I think again, Ohio State wants to get to the perimeter, right? Like whether that is right. in the run game or it's you know quick screen outside or it's it's a vertical shot outside the numbers. They want to they want to work outside, right? So outside in is absolutely what I would rather do. Yep. I'm going to wrap up here because I know we, we got to get rolling. We got a lot a lot of stuff to get to today, but I did have a couple more things here real fast. RH says Marvin Harrison Jr. is a great player because he works like nobody in that building. His dad taught him that well. He's the only player that that they're working extra most of the time. A couple comments to that. Yep. We have never, ever, ever said that Marvin Harrison's not an extremely talented kid. Sure, I, I don't great. know. I don't know what else we can say. We have simply applied the same standard to him that we've applied to Lorenzo Styles and Braden Lindsay and Tyler Buckner and every other talented Notre Dame players, he's got to now go show it. And showing it in a bowl game against a, a secondary decimated by injuries is not, to me, something that automatically means you're going to be great. Remember Doriel Green Beckham? 
he was incredibly talented and he didn't pan out for different for certain reasons. There's other guys that were very talented players that pan out for other reasons. We think he's going to be very good for this matchup. You're asking him to go from being a freshman who caught 11 passes to being Garrett Wilson might be asking a lot for one game. That's all we're saying. All right. So we think he's a great player. The other part of it is um, honestly, that's not necessarily a great thing if your sophomore receiver is the only player there working most extra working extra most of the time. That's problematic. You you'd hope that there's more than one guy working extra. I can assure you from people I've talked to, there's a lot more than just one Notre Dame guy working extra. So uh, I would hope that that's not true for Ohio State's sake. To be honest with you, uh, yeah, that's real, not a good real, indicator if he's the only no. guy working hard. No, no, no <laughs> not no, a good no. indicator. Um, Ryan, that thing that Tommy sent you. I'm going to need to kind of do that. I think that's a good thing to answer on the message board. So I think I'm going to take that photo and I'm going to put that on the message board. So Tommy, that thing that you sent Ryan, we're going to put that on the message board and answer it because it'll be easier to answer there in that format. And then also more fun because we can all engage and other people can answer real quick from Tyler Smith, which corner for Notre Dame will need to step up the most against Ohio state. Why also on 97.1, the fan here in Ohio, they're worried about our DNs, uh, Yes, they should be worried about the DNs. I think that is going to be a matchup. That's a very fair thing to say. I'll At corner, Ryan, my answer is short and sweet. I broke it down the other day. Tyreek Bracey. Tariq Bracey. If Tariq Bracey can have a great game in the slot where he's going to be matched up against Jackson Smith and Jigba quite a bit, that's going to be the thing we talked about. Force more incompletions. Now, Jackson will still get his, but make him work for it. If you can do that and you can create more incompletions, even if he catches eight balls, but you threw at him 15, 16 times, that's where Notre Dame needs to be. What you don't want him for is for him to have eight catches on 10 attempts, right? That's the thing. Make him work for it. That's where you can kind of create some of those misses. I know Clarence Lewis is a big one, but like if you, if Tariq plays well, now my safety doesn't have to worry about protecting the slot. He can help Clarence outside. So I think Tariq Bracey for me is the corner that has to play big opposite Cam Hart in this game. I think he has to play. Well, actually he won't be opposite Cam Hart. A lot of times they'll be on the same side of the field. And so uh, if they're going to play the way we think. So I, I really think Tariq Bracey could he, one way or the other is going to have a big impact on this game. Either he struggles covering Jackson Smith and Jigba or he plays really well and makes Jackson work, which I think helps the Notre Dame defense be, be more effective. I mean, we could we could dumb it down, Brian. We could say the best slot receiver in college football last year is going to be the player that's playing in the slot, right? So Tariq yeah. is an absolute. I, I was I was surprised. Like for most of the offseason, we didn't really talk much about Tariq. For, and I'm not even talking yeah. from us perspective. I'm saying like yeah. from a chat perspective, and I think yeah. it's very important in this game. Last one here, real quick, Ryan. Before we get out of here, off topic. Blaine Tiller says off topic. But what do you think about the Penn State Purdue game tonight? And what do you think of Penn State not cracking the top twenty-five with all that talent? I think it just shows that James Franklin's consistently underachieved with that football team the last couple of years. They have not played to their potential. I think this is a huge game for both teams, especially Penn State. Look, Penn State going on the road against P- Purdue. They're not a top twenty-five team. They should be. That's embarrassing that they're not a top twenty-five team preseason. They, this is the kind of win that I think immediately gets them back into the top 25. There's a lot of talent there. I still feel that if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt last year, they're a nine-win team, and, and the outlook is different. They don't lose to Iowa if he doesn't get hurt, and they don't do lose to Illinois if he's not playing that game banged up and having missed the previous game and the loss to Iowa. So that's just how I feel. I could be wrong. It's how I feel. It's not that he's a great quarterback, but it's just the drop-off was that significant. At least with Sean Clifford, you know he's going to get the ball where it needs to go to. He's just not going to do it overly impressively, but he's going to get the ball where it needs to go to. 
because uh, their record when he starts is not bad at all. You know, so anyway, uh, that to me is a big game. If they lose that game, you're going to start to see things get really interesting in state college over the next year, Ryan, because that's going to be a bad sign. If you're losing to Purdue with all the losses they had this year, with all due respect, that's that's not a good sign for Penn State. Not a good sign at all. Give me Purdue, man. I told you this this morning, didn't I? This is my upset pick uh, yep. of the week. I'm going to put it on the board here in a little bit. So I got you and uh, I think one other person picked the Thursday night game. Somebody picked the backyard West. I think West Virginia backyard brawl, which uh, is a game I'm actually taking West Virginia in this game as well. So that's my. I don't know what the spread is, so I don't know if that's my upset pick. But that I'm, I think West Virginia is going to win that game. I think Pitt's going to take a big step back this year. A really big step back. So, everybody, that's going to do it. I think that's all the super chats we got to Ryan. I don't think we had any other super chats in here today. I'm just quickly going through to look. I don't see any other super chats. So, we appreciate you all very, very much. Uh, great week. We'll be back uh, tonight. Last uh, IB Nation Sports Talk of the week is tonight. Tomorrow, we will have our prediction show starting at one. We're going to do the Notre Dame game. And then we're going to talk about Utah, Florida about Oregon and Georgia. We're going to talk about Cincinnati, Arkansas, and there may be one other game we discuss. We might talk about LSU, Florida State a little bit as well. Those are kind of the big games from the weekend. Saturday, 10 a.m. is going to start our IB countdown to kickoff with Sean and Vince. I'll have a little segment there as well. Uh, and then, of course, post-game Saturday night, uh, we finally got our hotel booked. We're about three miles from the stadium, so we will be able to kind of get the post-game show up relatively quickly. We were going to try to get about 45 minutes down the road just to kind of get out of Columbus. But the prices were just as expensive there as they were in Columbus. So say, hey, you know what? Let's just get to the postgame show right away. And then, of course, Sunday night upon further review. So we've got a lot more for you. Make sure you stay. IB Nation Sports Talk tonight, 6 o'clock with Sean and uh, Bobby. Tomorrow we'll make our predictions. going to be a lot of fun. Stay locked into irishbreakdown.com. Sign up for the boards, everybody. Have a great, safe rest of your days. If you're traveling to the game this weekend, be smart, be safe, enjoy yourselves, and don't do anything that you will regret down the road. Don't let yourselves get baited into things that uh, just aren't worth your time. So enjoy the game, and hopefully the Marcus Freeman era officially kicks off in impressive fashion. But we'll find out. But, hey, we'll be here no matter what. Win, lose. Well, there's no win, lose, or draw anymore. Win or lose, IB is going to be here. So uh, you can always be assured. That's the only guarantee I have this weekend, Ryan. As long as I'm still breathing, we're going to be here. And if, I, if I'm not breathing, Ryan, you know how to start a show. You handle business, okay? All right? So be ready to rock and roll. So have a great day, everybody. Thanks for being with us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>